Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Rankings came out. I know that we kind of got our feel for what that top 10, top six looks like, but this is where the playoff officially starts. We're going to get there, right? The 12 team playoff is coming. A lot of people have wanted it. Whether you want it or not, it's going to be here soon. But I'm telling you, the regular season of college football is its own playoff, and it starts this coming weekend. A number of games that we've already broke down on this channel, but that are sure to impact the playoff race Alabama LSU, Alabama. Playing with fire, no more margin for error, no more margin for a loss. What happens in that game? You got Tennessee, Georgia. That is a playoff game. I mean, we can look at that game right now and say whoever wins that one, their playoff odds are impacted substantially. Just ask Vegas. Ask the ESPN predictor machine that they have for the playoff. A lot of good games on the docket. A lot to talk about. So many of you come to us during this live show, hit the live chat up, and we love that so much. And you get into, what? hey, what happens if this team loses this game? What happens to their playoff chances? Well, this show primarily will be focused on the different playoff scenarios that could potentially occur throughout this coming weekend and beyond a lot of playoff impact. We're going to break that down. Jam-packed show. If you haven't already, subscribed to the channel. Also, we're on podcasts. So whether you're listening right now on podcast or not, we thank you. But I guess you wouldn't be listening right now because we're, we're not live on podcast, Nick. But Spotify and Apple, we're there wherever you get your podcast. Would love to have you along for the ride. Like I said, jam-packed show. A lot to get into. Ohio State has made a statement really throughout the race, you know, the, the duration of this season and the playoff race, but especially last weekend against Penn State. I feel like they made a statement, and the question has to be asked. Are they the most complete team in all the land? We'll jump into that. Oregon, 
potentially going to be the Pac-12 champion. Again, potentially. They still have their work cut out for them. But you would imagine they are, according to the playoff committee, the lead horse from that conference to potentially represent the Pac-12 in the playoff. What's the path for them? A path exists. Now, how wide is it? Whole other conversation. But what is the path for Oregon? We're going to break that down in its entirety. Then Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Sooners were a team that we were really high on coming into the year. And I think a lot of us have sort of wiped our memory of what they were going to be in the whole talking season affair of what this college football season was about to be and kind of left them for dead after that Texas game. Let's check in on the Sooners because as of right now, they're five and three. And I think there's more than what meets the eye for Brent Venables and company down there in Norman, Oklahoma. So going to talk about that one. Then at the end of the show, you join the party. Like I always say, the best thing we do on this whole program you join the chat, we bring them on air, we talk about it, we break it down, and we pass the show back over to you fully. All right? Before all of that, though, we got to talk about some of these playoff scenarios as it pertains, especially to this coming weekend with Tennessee and Georgia. We'll mix in Alabama, even though the path for Alabama is pretty straightforward. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. All right, let's jump into it. Tennessee and Georgia, the college football playoff. A talking point for both fan bases, and deservedly so. Obviously, this coming weekend has a huge impact on what their postseason will look like, right? I mean, forget the SEC title game. Well, don't forget it, but outside of the SEC title game, you probably feel like if you can just get there undefeated, if you're either one of these programs, you have a pretty decent shot to make the college football playoffs. Let's unpack that a little bit. The path for Alabama is clear. If they went out... As a one-loss SEC champion, they're not getting left out. There's really no way around it. There's, there's no other sort of talking point that needs to be had here. If you're Alabama, handle business, win the SEC, you're dancing, right? Now, for Tennessee and Georgia, it's not necessarily a given that if you were to be second place in the SEC, for lack of a better term, you know, you win this coming game against Tennessee or Georgia, whoever it is, and you get to that title game in Atlanta, undefeated if you lose it's not just a layup that you make the college football playoff so i want to break this down i think we have the graphic nick so we can pull that up that'd be phenomenal here is the doomsday scenario if you're one of these fan bases because there's two undefeated potential conference champions still out there a big 10 champ is in whether they're one loss or undefeated they're in an sec champion they're in whether it's one loss or undefeated they're in so let's just say, for example, in this scenario, that's Bama. You still have two spots and a Big 12 undefeated champion and an ACC undefeated champion. Let's say TCU for the Big 12 and Clemson for the ACC. That would occupy all the spots. So a second place SEC team, as impressive as they are, no matter what happens in, in you know, the, the, that game, how close it is, you would be left out. Now, whether we agree with it or not, not really here to talk about that. That's just the reality. A lot of these situations when it comes to Selection Sunday, they're, they're people in a room, right? So you're, you're weighing resumes and things like that. What it comes down to is you're having a conversation. And I think the conversation is a lot shorter if that's what happens. So that's kind of the extra team SEC lockout potential scenario, if you're with me there. So here's where I think it could be a little bit more of a talking point when it comes to that second team from the SEC making it. Here's where I stand on that. If you're a one-loss SEC runner-up, I think you're the first team off the bench. 
So in that scenario, you need either a one-loss Clemson as your ACC champion. They still have a game at Notre Dame this coming weekend. They have Louisville, which has gotten progressively more interesting after what they did to Wake Forest this past weekend. You got Miami, you got South Carolina, then you got the ACC title game. All right? So you, in theory, would need them to lose one of those games, especially, I mean, if they lose the ACC title game, forget it. The ACC is not going to have a team. But if they lose one along the way and win the ACC, I still have a hard time taking them over whoever that second place team is in the SEC with one loss. All right, so that's that. You also, in theory, or either or, I guess, is the scenario, is a one-loss Big 12 champion, TCU. They still have Texas Tech. They go to Texas, which will likely be a ranked matchup, depending on what Texas does this week at Kansas State. And you got at Baylor, you got Iowa State, and then you would have the Big 12 title game. So, again, either one of those scenarios happens. In either conference, the SEC is the first team in, in my humble opinion. I like the resume more for either of these programs over a team that's the, the Ohio State or Michigan loser, to put it simply. Like, that's where I fall on that. So here's where it gets interesting. Let's start with Georgia. Let's say you lose this weekend to Tennessee, and let's say that Tennessee ends up winning the SEC title. All right, so you have a two-loss Bama, which helps you. And here are some other things that I think you got to look at. The conversation gets harder. In my mind, you would need both a one-loss ACC champion and a Big 12 uh, champion with one loss. I think you would also like to have the Pac-12 champion be either Oregon or a two-loss Utah team. Now, the reason why I say you'd want it to be Oregon is because you have that head-to-head with Oregon. And that head-to-head wasn't close, right? It was 49-3. to We all saw it. We all watched that game go down. It was very clear on that day you were the better team. If it comes down to a spot where it's either Georgia or Oregon for that fourth spot, Georgia would have the head-to-head there, and Georgia would, I think, emphatically be the selection. Now, here's my opinion. I think a one-loss Michigan would get in over a third-place Georgia team in the SEC. Again, this is a conversation that we have. People sort of decided at the end of the day, but I think that conversation gets a whole lot more difficult if you're Georgia in third place. Now, if you're in second place, I think the two scenarios I mentioned with the ACC and the Big 12, that helps you in the the head-to-head with the Pac-12 becomes a reality as well. So for Georgia, if, if they lose this weekend to Tennessee, the predictor index rather for ESPN has them at a 31% chance to make the playoff. 31% is not great odds to put it simply. So let's shift our focus over here to Tennessee. What if Tennessee takes a loss this weekend in Athens to Georgia? They're not favored in the game. We picked them to win the game, but besides that, the the public doesn't believe they're winning the game. If that makes sense, if we're going to go ahead and phrase it that way. So let's say that Alabama wins. And let's say that Georgia ends up losing in the SEC title game. You with me? So we got a a one-loss champion Alabama. You have a one-loss Georgia. And you have a third-place Tennessee. So this is what Tennessee's resume would read as. Five ranked wins. And your one loss to the number three team in the country. Not a bad resume. So with that being said, you're looking at a third-place Tennessee team. Here's the potential resumes that you're up against. You have a one-loss Big 12 champion TCU, six ranked wins, and a non-ranked loss, or five ranked wins and a ranked loss to, let's just say, Texas, for example. Texas is ranked right now. They're still on their schedule. That would probably be the best loss, quote-unquote, that they have available. 
Another potential resume you're up against, a one-loss Oregon. Five ranked wins. Their one loss is to the common opponent of Georgia. So this kind of matters, then how do you play this weekend against Georgia? Let's say you lose 50-3. to Well, then actually, Oregon has the better loss there from a margin of victory standpoint. I don't think that's going to be what happens. Vegas doesn't think that's what's going to be what happens, but it's something to look at nonetheless. You'd have the common loss there. And I think playing better against Georgia than Oregon does probably leans your direction. This is an interesting one. A one-loss Clemson as the ACC champ would have then four ranked wins. Let's be generous and say they end up playing a ranked team in the ACC title game. Let's just you know roll with me here. That's a generous. It's probably going to be closer to three ranked wins. But then you have that one unranked loss. So they don't have any ranked teams left on their schedule. I'm not saying they couldn't eventually get there, but that's the way it looks right now. So you'd have an unranked loss and four ranked wins. Again, remember, Tennessee, five ranked wins and a one loss to the number three team in the country, depending on how close that is. I actually like Tennessee over all these teams. You can, you can push back on that. And there's probably a conversation to be had. I promise you, if this becomes a scenario, there will be a very spirited debate within that college football playoff committee, but it's a conversation. It's a conversation that we would have to have. I actually also like Tennessee over the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. A lot of talk about getting two Big Ten teams in. Listen, if it's Ohio State or it's Michigan that's on the outside looking in and they're not the Big Ten champion, here's what they have to their name. Two ranked wins, and you didn't win the conference. No, no, nothing cut out there. We're still live on air. Your, Your machine works just fine, but that's the reality for the Big Ten right now. And some of that maybe comes down to the eye test and you say, well, hey, Michigan was really dominant over Penn State and there's a conversation about style points. I get all of that. I understand it. And that might be why you would side with the Big Ten there. But if you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the ranked wins, it leans Tennessee. So if you want to have that whole doomsday scenario that I don't think anybody is really rooting for outside of these respective fan bases, three SEC teams in the playoff, it would have to be Tennessee in one of those spots to have three of them. If it's Tennessee and, and Georgia's in the third place and Tennessee is that second place team in the SEC, it's probably not going to happen. But all that's to say, there is very much a path for Tennessee to make the playoff regardless of what happens this Saturday in Athens. All right? And there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, you're based in Nashville. Of course you're saying this. Right? You got, you got ties to Grant Furking, who's, who's at Tennessee. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I grew up in California. I went to school in upstate New York. Like, I'm the farthest thing from a homer here, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I love college football, all right? That's the whole thing I want to talk about right now. There's, there's no dog in the fight here. That's the reality. ESPN has a 44% chance for Tennessee, if they lose this weekend in Athens, to still make the playoff. So is it likely? Probably not. Is there a path? However narrow it may be, it exists. We'll leave it at that. Folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we would love to have you along for the ride. If you haven't yet asked a question in the chat, go ahead and jump in. Nick Bright, Keeper of the queue. Going to make sure we get to as many as possible. And again, the best thing we do on this program is having y'all on. So thank you in advance for that. But the SEC is a wild spot to keep an eye on in November, especially as we get closer and closer to Atlanta, assuming the things that we believe to be stable stay stable, and those teams win the games leading up to those games. I mean, it's going to be anarchy, all right? Even trying to craft that segment together felt like trying to do a math problem you just don't get. 
but it's going to play itself out in the field. The most beautiful thing about it. Moving right along. Ohio State this past weekend, in my humble opinion, made a statement against the Penn State team. A Penn State team that was ranked this past, I guess, Tuesday by the College Football Playoff Committee, a good Penn State team. They took them to the cleaners. And this Ohio State team just has a different feel to me than the team that we saw last year in 2021. I want to get into that. I think Ohio State has a very realistic case to be the most complete team in all of America. Now, here's why. The defense, for one thing, is doing more than just keeping up their end of the bargain. Like last year, it was Ohio State's going to score a lot of points offensively. If the defense can keep from being that squeaky wheel or that flat tire in the Ferrari, they're going to be okay. Now, we saw multiple times against Oregon, against Michigan, the defense was out to lunch. Like they were just getting run over with the power run scheme, with the inside zone, was not a good run defense. And that got taken advantage of multiple times. Last year, let's look at the, let's look at the numbers. 374 yards allowed per a game of total offense. Gave up 127 rush yards a game. Gave up close to four yards a carry. Not winning football. That speaks to how elite the offense had to be last year. And look at 2022. Jim Knowles has come through and just totally revamped this defense. Say what you want to about the schedule. I don't care who they're playing. These numbers are a whole lot better. Allowing 100 yards less of offense a game. They're top five in the country. Giving up only 270 yards. They're allowing less than 100 yards on the ground. Top five in the country, I believe. Top 10 in the country. 2.9 yards a carry. That's good for number seven in the country allowed. This program, this defense, like I said, doing much more than just hanging on tight for dear life while the offense scores points. This defense has now gone from being the nail to the hammer. They are now the aggressor with Jim Knowles as the defensive coordinator. And it feels like to me from this past weekend, they now found themselves their signature game record. And you know what I mean when we talk about these Ohio State teams that, that really make noise in the playoff and play important games in January. Larry Johnson, one of the best defensive line coaches in the entire country, always has one of his guys, whether it's Chase Young, whether it's one of the Bosa brothers. This year, they got JT Tuimaloao absolutely stepped onto center stage last week, had one of the best statistical performances that I've ever seen from a defensive player, much less a defensive end. Just think for a second, what if this is just his coming out party? What if this is just the beginning for him and he has more under the hood? I'm just telling you, it's the mark of all great Ohio State teams. And if this really is just the tip of the iceberg for him, as a lot of people in Columbus believe it is, Ohio State's going to be dangerous. And the defense is a huge part as to why I think they have a chance to really, really make some noise in that whole college football playoff conversation. They've allowed the offense to eventually find it. Now, what do I mean by that? We've seen it from a couple of different games, whether it was the Penn State game, whether it was the beginning of the Iowa game, even though they scored 26 points in the first half, they were settling for field goals pretty frequently, whether it was Notre Dame game. The offense took a minute to get into gear. And you know that I've said this before. Ohio State offensively has an extra gear that I don't believe a lot of teams in the country have, maybe outside of Tennessee, Georgia. You can sprinkle in Alabama. The monster gear. The gear that it's like when you play Super Smash Brothers and you get that star power, you're just untouchable. And it's nobody's fault. It's nothing that your defense is doing incorrectly. You just personnel-wise 
are out-schemed, out-manned, and Ohio State has found their tempo. They found the monster gear. Well, it used to be you got to hit that right from the jump if you're Ohio State in order to be able to win that game, to win that game convincingly. Not the case anymore. For Ohio State, the defense now can do more than just hold it down until the offense finds it. And they found it last week in a big way in the fourth quarter, mind you, against Penn State. So obviously, if you're a complete team, you got more than just the defensive side rolling. And we've come to expect Ohio State's offense to be really elite every single year. I think they may even be better this year. And that's saying something. I mean, looking at the numbers right now, they scored 45 points a game last year in 2021. Right now, through nine weeks into the season, going into week 10, averaging 49 points a game. It's slight, but I'm telling you, the numbers don't lie here. Numbers can kind of tell half the story. Not the case here. You're getting the whole story here. And C.J. Stroud has looked like he's taken that next step from being the quarterback and a good quarterback last year, really good numbers, was elite in distributing the football, but he's taken that step from being the quarterback to now being the guy. And you can tell when he walks on the field, he's the alpha. He's the one that makes this ship go forward, the one that sets the sail up for them, that allows them to move in the right direction as a program, not just the offense, as a program. He is the bell cow for them. And it looks like he's taking a step up from a vocal leader standpoint, which is a big deal. But for him, it, he just looks so much more comfortable. I think Letterman Rowe actually has a story out uh, from his time when he had his first start against Minnesota. You might have to go dig a little bit to find that. But Spencer Holbrook talked about that first game against Minnesota. He was so nervous. He was so on edge. And he wasn't comfortable. And that's your first start. I mean, you understand that. But that takes some time to really get right in the saddle as the Ohio State quarterback after all of the phenomenal players that have come through there. So for C.J. Stroud, looking at the numbers, last year, he threw for 38 touchdowns during the regular season. He is currently on pace to throw for 40. And that's a big deal, just him being able to stay consistent through the air. His completion percentage is even just a little bit better. The numbers tell some of the story there, but really, C.J. Stroud looks like he's taking the next step to being the guy. And that's saying something for an offense that lost two first-round wide receivers. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are absolute savages. Again, they're scoring more points a game right now. That's impressive. I also think it's impressive the versatility of weapons they have. Because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, like I said, first-round NFL picks. There's no getting around that. How important they are to your program, how important they were to your offense. To the same token, both those dudes stand right around six foot. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's six foot four. Now, I am not saying that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are somehow playing second fiddle to Marvin Harrison Jr. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is Marvin Harrison's size allows you to potentially call some different kind of things and maybe throw the ball in a different place that you couldn't throw for Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. Just food for thought. They now have that alpha wide receiver that can really just body up any DB he plays against for the most part. That does a lot for you schematically. That's an ace in, in the hole for you a lot of the time. I mean, we've seen him in the red zone just be a big target and cash in on that. Talking about most complete, having a big body wide receiver makes you more versatile. Also, Mayan Williams. How about the emergence of him? How about the way that he's added an extra element to this football team with how he has, one, kind of helped share the load with Travion Henderson, who's still one of the best backs in the country when he's healthy, but the, the sort of thunder kind of feel he's added to that backfield. I'm not saying Travion Henderson isn't a tough runner. I'm just saying 
Mayan Williams, he majors in that sort of thing. Like, he majors in running between the tackles and running tough behind his shoulder pads. In the Notre Dame game, you pretty much turned around, handed it to him, and allowed him to pick up five yards, six yards, and just run tough and wear down a defense. I think to put it best, they just have so many different flavors now that they can hurt you with offensively. They have so many different kind of weapons. Like, they could hurt you through the air with the explosive play last year. They do that this year as well, but now they got the jump ball a little bit more accessible. Now they got the tough running between the tackles. Again, I'm not saying they were bad a year ago. If you left this segment saying, wow, he says Ohio State was bad last year and they're so good this year, that's not at all the point. You missed it. What I'm saying is they now have more ways they can hurt you. And the more punches you have in your arsenal, the more potential you give yourself when your back's against the wall. Because it may take that kind of an effort against Michigan. It may take the defense being able to have a stop on fourth down in the red zone. That might be how you have to win the game. I don't think they could have done that last year. They may need to put the game on ice in a four-minute drill and hand the ball to Mayan Williams and then hand the ball to Travion Henderson. They may need that. I don't think they could have done that last year. You see where I'm going with this? The versatility makes them so dangerous. Now, the final thing that makes them the most complete team to me doesn't really show up as much in the stat sheet. Maybe run defense a little bit if you want to get nitpicky, but I think it's more than that. This Ohio State football team has an edge. Maybe some of that comes from what happened against Michigan last year and losing in the fashion they did. Maybe it's all the external stuff that's been talked about with this program. How tough is Ohio State? Can they go four quarters with a physical football team? Yeah, they're talented, but are they tough? Ryan Day alluded to just as much in his press conference against Notre Dame. He feels like this is a tough football team, and I do too. I feel like they have a physical edge. I mean, JT Tuimaloa, the edge that he brings to this program, Harrison on the defensive line, Williams. I mean, they got so many guys up there that just add to the edge. And it's not just the defensive line. Like we said, Mayan Williams, a guy that runs the rock effectively for them, and he runs with an attitude. The attitude of this team is a team that is looking to prove themselves. Not so much internally, but I think externally. Because a lot of people, like I said, talked about how tough they were, their mindset, their mentality. They're looking to silence a lot of people. And I think thus far, they've done nothing to disprove that this Ohio State team is substantially tougher than they were a year ago. Maybe some of that's Jim Knowles. Maybe some of that's Ryan Day and his offseason program. Maybe some of it's strength conditioning. I think it starts with an internal switch that has been flipped within that locker room, and it's evident on the field. So for my money, is Ohio State the most complete team in the country? To this point, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with you. Just the fact of the matter. So Ohio State, they're a team that I am very, very excited to see. If they do get to that Michigan game undefeated, and it's in Columbus, would imagine that place will be a zoo, would imagine there is... Uh, more likely than not a playoff spot on the line because you know it's not a, not a, a layup that the loser of that game still gets in. So excited to see what Ohio State does the rest of the way. But for our money, they are the most complete team in the country. If you haven't yet, folks, would love to have you subscribe to the channel. Got 135 of you watching right now. Thank you in advance for subscribing. Second thing, questions in the chat are what drives this whole operation, what makes the live show so fun, helps us build this community even more so. So go ahead, subscribe. And we'll keep this thing rolling. Sticking with the whole playoff scenarios conversation, how about Oregon? A lot of us remember what happened in Atlanta, and we said, oh boy, it's going to take a while for Dan Lennon and company, won't it? It's going to be a little bit before they eventually get to playoff caliber. Well, the playoff rankings came and went, and they're number eight in the country, folks. 
And since we saw them in Atlanta, they have looked like a completely different football team. Because think about all the newness that was in that game. New head coach, new quarterback, trying to get their feet wet at what we call a neutral site, which really, let's call a spade a spade. That was a home game with some air conditioning and a roof for Georgia since it was played in Atlanta. Like, odds weren't necessarily stacked in their favor to have your first game of the Dan Landing era. So, what is the path for them? Because I really believe a path exists. The ESPN playoff predictor has them at a 50% chance to make the playoff if they do win out and win the conference championship. All right? So two crucial things obviously have to happen. If you're a two-loss Pac-12 champion, you're not making the playoff. No two-loss team has ever made the playoff. So we'll leave it at that. What's the gauntlet for them the rest of the way, though? What's the schedule? Got to go to Colorado, play Washington, which... With Michael Penix's company, never an easy win. That'll be a fun rivalry game. Excited to watch that. And you welcome Utah to Autzen Stadium. 14-ranked Utah, right, by the way, right now. That will tell us a lot about the Ducks, in my humble opinion. I'm very excited for that game. I think that is, for my money, the most losable, quote-unquote, game for them. And then you play Oregon State at Oregon State. Right now, Oregon State is ranked. I believe they're the 23rd-ranked team in the country. Sounds weird to say, but if you're an Oregon fan, you are rooting hard for Utah. You are rooting hard for Oregon State. Heck, you're rooting hard for USC. I know, Duck fans, it sounds a little bit weird. I know that they are the absolute bane of your existence, but you're rooting for all of them until you play them. Why? Because it boosts your resume. Like we talked about in the early going, the resume, the resume, the resume, unfortunately, is how this thing gets sorted out. All right? The way of the world. So, the Utah game, according to ESPN's playoff predictor, they have a 54% chance to win that game. Will they be favored? I don't know, but that's what they're saying. So, that's the one game, like I said, we're really watching closely. But here's the recipe. Everyone wants to talk about scenarios and ingredients that go into this whole playoff thing. Here's the recipe for me that give Oregon the best chance to win, or excuse me, to get to the college football playoff. Need a two-loss Michigan or Ohio State. So Michigan still has to play Illinois, which for right now is a ranked matchup. Illinois playing really good football, Bielema ball. You never know what's going to happen there. They have to play that game. Ohio State, I believe, goes to Maryland. That's probably their biggest test. Now, why are we talking about these games? Because somebody's got to lose when they play in Columbus, right? Like Ohio State has to lose or Michigan has to lose. If they show up undefeated, you don't want to get into uh, Michigan's resume versus Oregon's resume or Ohio State's resume versus Oregon's resume. You want to just kind of have that off the table to begin with. A two-loss team doesn't make it in. You would like for one of these programs to have a loss before they get to playing each other. Because, again, guarantees one of them having two losses. That's the first thing. Second thing you would like, you would like the SEC champion to be from the East. So whether it's Georgia, whether it's Tennessee, you want one of them to run the table, go undefeated, be the number one seed. Well, why is that? Because then it avoids the scenario where you have two SEC teams potentially being in. Doesn't lock it up for sure, but it avoids that scenario because you'd have a two-loss Alabama and a two-loss team is not getting in the playoff. History is our teacher. Until our teacher tells us something different, that's the method I'm going with. This is something you would also want. All right, here's, here's two wants for you. You would like Clemson to have one loss, and you'd like TCU to have one loss. Those are two really interesting ingredients when it comes to the college football playoff because right now they're both undefeated. If they both go undefeated, they're not getting left out. I'm telling you, whether it's one loss Tennessee, whether it's one loss Michigan, whoever it is, if those programs are undefeated and are conference champions, 
they will have a spot at the table. I promise you. So that, that would help, right? Both of those losing would help. You'd like to avoid the scenario where you have to have your resume compared with a one-loss Tennessee. Some things probably have to happen for that to be the reality. The things I just mentioned actually have to happen for that to be a reality. But that's a scenario you'd want to avoid because you share a common opponent, assuming that one loss for Tennessee is to Georgia. Again, that's the assumption. If you get into a comparison with that, you don't like what you bring to the table. Because in your first game, whether it's right or wrong, that's the data we have to go off of. That's the common data point. And I know they played them in week 10. You played them in week one. It's the way it goes. You have a 49-3 loss. And unless Tennessee loses by more than 46, that would lean towards Tennessee. And they would get the in. This is something we don't talk about enough. Style points help. If you blow out a top-ranked USC, if you blow out a ranked Utah, you, you blow out a ranked Oregon State team, I say top-ranked USC is in a top-10-ranked USC, that helps your case. Like, you are, at this point in time, chasing some of that goodwill that you lost from the committee from the first week of the season. Because that 46-point loss to Georgia is something that you're continuing to try and erase and trying to prove, hey, no, that was week one, we're a new football team. So when it comes down to comparing resumes, you have these strong margins of victory that could eventually play in your favor. So to recap, two lost Michigan or Ohio State. You don't want to have two big, excuse me, two big 10 teams having a chance to be in the dance. You need the winner to be from the SEC East for the SEC. You don't want a one-loss Bama and then uh, one-loss Georgia, maybe one-loss Tennessee. You don't want to have that kind of conversation happening. All right? You would like both a one-loss Clemson and a one-loss TCU to be reality for you. And you feel like, okay, at that point, it's a conversation. That's all we're trying to do. There's no specific formula. You have the predictor percentage. I get that. That's cool. At the end of the day, people make this decision. So throw computers out of it like we already have. Just want to get to having a conversation. And when you have that conversation, have as much style points as possible to help yourself when that conversation arrives. Oh, yeah, Oregon? You mean the team that just beat USC by three touchdowns? Yeah, USC was a top 10 team. Pretty impressive by Oregon, right? That's the kind of conversation you would like to be able to have when it comes to Selection Sunday. So is there a path? 100%. There absolutely is a path that exists. Is it likely? ESPN has yet a 50% chance. Take that as you will. However narrow it is, the path exists for Oregon. Let's play some ball. I love so much the regular season of college football. We, we don't have time for that segment. We could do a playoff expansion segment, but I love the regular season for college football because of stuff like this. We have a lot of elimination games coming up. We already talked about Clemson-Notre Dame in our Tuesday show. It's a playoff game for Clemson. Might not be for Notre Dame, but it's a playoff game for Clemson. If you haven't yet, subscribe. We appreciate you in advance. Let's check in on the Sooners. Before we do that, though, if you haven't yet gotten to the chat, and submitted a question. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, the man, the myth, the legend, the heavy lifter extraordinaire. We'll get to them. It'll be a whole lot of fun. We don't want you to miss out. So if you could shoot those questions in right now, it'd be phenomenal. We have a better chance of getting to your question. All right. As I was saying, the Oklahoma Sooners are five and three. And the last time we really checked in on the Sooners, it was after the Red River rivalry. And they lost, I believe it was 49 to zero against Texas. And we said, oh, boy. Golly, Brett Venables, huh? A lot of, I say we, a lot of other people were saying Brett Venables, bad hire, right? Can't believe they fell for that. I think ESPN actually, during a mid-season article they have out, talking about mid-season reports for first-year head coaches, 
they gave Brent Venables a D plus, which I think is is a wild grade to give, but we all got to make some money, huh? Nothing about Brent Venables is untrue from when you hired him. Let me stress that again. Everything about Brent Venables that you hired him for is still true. I think the best way to say this is when you got married to Brent Venables, you didn't marry him for money as your Oklahoma. Like you didn't marry him for the ROI in 2022. You hired him for culture. You hired him for the defensive edge he's going to bring. You hired him for recruiting. All three of those things take some time to get installed. They take some time to have the ROI be present. You married him for the culture, for the defensive edge, all those things. Like that's a thing that takes some baking to eventually get there. So there's, there's some like long game you got to play here. And you're not going to see those in 2022, which is unfortunate. Now, the thing that we missed on, we thought would have more of an impact. We thought the defense would be a little bit more substantial in terms of its importance in a game. We thought they'd be able to hold their own a little bit better, but it's not the case. All right. Doesn't mean the defense isn't going to be good because Brent Venables, I promise you, as next point I want to get to, he's not putting his name next to anything that's happening on the field right now in terms of endorsing it. He's not saying, man, I guess my scheme doesn't work in the Big 12. He's not saying, wow, I, I, I guess I got to go ahead and adjust what I believe works. He said it in a press conference, I believe it was after the Iowa State game. He said, you got to stay faithful to your processes and what you believe works and get to executing that. Right now, they're not executing. Maybe some of it's a personnel thing. And he's taking care of that too. That's a thing they're doing right now. Oklahoma's recruiting. Recruiting at a fairly high level, actually, for how well they're playing right now. On top of that, the offense... It's going to get there, right? Like Dylan Gabriel and company have actually been pretty decent. 33 points a game, ranked for 32nd in the country. But even so, Jeff Levy's not signing off next to what's happening on the field. Jeff Levy is historically scoring more points per game. At UCF, even though it was group of five, dock it if you want to. They scored 43 a game. At Ole Miss a season ago, 36 points a game. So it's a process. You're going to eventually get there. But I just want to make sure that we have this conversation right now what you believe about Brent Venables, there's nothing in 2022 that should shake that belief. All right? Nothing that ultimately should be something that you turn your nose up at with Brent Venables. A lot is going to happen in Norman that's going to be very, very good. But understand, a little bit of a revamp happening, as there is a lot of places in the Big 12. And that's the good news for Sooner fans. The Big 12 conference is a place with a lot of parity. Right. Like there's a there's there's so much that goes on year in the year out with just by nature of what's happened in the conference, which is, is just wild to think about. Now, TCU is the lead dog. And last year they were struggling to to find ways to win. And now they're undefeated and talking about them in a college football playoff situation. They're five and three and they have three of their losses to college football playoff ranked teams. Right. In Kansas State, Texas and TCU all teams that were ranked in the top 25. So if you want to be upset about those losses, you can. But I think the point I'm trying to get at here is the fall for Oklahoma was not top of the top to rock bottom. It was fall from the upper tier to the middle tier. That's okay. You're not falling 500 feet. You fell a few, you know, staircases, which isn't great, but you're still very much in a place where you're going to be competitive next year. You're going to be competitive this year. Heck, if they win out, they go nine and three. Count the bowl game, it's 10 wins. How differently are we talking about Oklahoma from the Texas game to after that bowl game if they're a 10-win team? A lot would have to happen. They still play Baylor. They go to West Virginia. They play Oklahoma State. And they go to Texas Tech. So it would be a tall order to win out, but I'm just saying, 
still possible. And they've won the last two, so they're kind of starting to catch their rhythm. Going back to the Big 12, you can flip it quick in that conference. Dave Aranda got there during the COVID season, installed everything over Zoom, and they won, I believe it was like two or three games in his first year. And everybody said the exact same thing then that they're saying about Brent Venables right now. Dave Aranda's not a head coach. He doesn't know what it's like to be a head coach. He doesn't know how to succeed there. He's, he's punching above his weight. Bad hire by Baylor. Hired a coordinator. It's supposed to be a coordinator, right? Sound familiar? Same thing about Brent Venables right now. Give it some time because the next year, not saying it's going to happen this way, but the next year, Dave Aranda won the Big 12. Him and his Baylor Bears got right quick, fast, in a hurry. And like I said, the parity and just the shifting that's going on right now in the Big 12. I think it's not unreasonable to believe you can be very competitive this coming time next year. All right? Let's keep an eye on that. There's so much being built that you're not going to see ROI on just yet. The fruits of your labor, the seeds are being planted. Let some time pass. Be patient. This time next year, we can revisit this topic. But Brent Venable still has my vote, and everything that you hired him for is still true about him to this day. So don't lose the faith, Sooner Faithful. Don't lose, don't lose the faith. All right. Time for the best part of this entire program. You are joining the party, kicking down the door, cutting the tape, all of that. We want you on the show right now. And so to help be the intermediate from you to this show, Nick, heavy lifter break, joining the program. Nick, how we doing, my man? JD, what's up, man? Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy Thursday, brother. How we doing? How, how's the chat looking? Doing great. Uh, some good chatting uh, going on. Love Obviously, it. there's always a lot of Tennessee fans in the house. There uh, we go. Some regulars, people who are joining us almost every single day. Uh, like I say a lot, you know, whether you're at work, you know, sneak us on your computer, whether you're on your lunch break or you got your day off, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, what do you say we get to the questions, J.D.? Let's do it, brother. Okay, awesome. So first one comes from Jake Williams. If LSU beats Bama, where do you rank each of them? If LSU beats Bama, I'd probably drop Bama back to where LSU is right now, right around that 10 spot. That'd be huge. Let me talk about playoff November. That's an elimination game for Alabama. Every game going forward will be an elimination, an, elim- uh, an elimination game for Alabama. It's a tongue, that's a tongue twister, Nick. Uh, for LSU, yeah. I'd probably <laughs> actually just swap them. Like I think I move LSU somewhere up to six, maybe seven if we want to be a little bit stingy. But I think you would just swap places, for my money at least. That'd be a huge win for LSU. Mm-hmm. It's in Death Valley. Could be a little bit rainy, so we'll see how that impacts the game. But uh, I'm fired up for that one. Absolutely a playoff game for Alabama and uh, should be a whole lot of fun. But that's where I rank them. Probably just swap them, Nick. Awesome, uh, because we have a fan here in the uh, chat. His name is pretty long. Um, I'm just going to start with his first two words, I never. I uh, went around for like seven or eight more words. Uh, he said the same thing. Switch the switch the numbers. I love it. So, we're, hey, we're, we're in lockstep. Us, I think us so. the people, man. I think so. That's the people show. Um, uh, we'll go to the next question. A.B. Bailey, who is a regular, welcome back, A.B. Bailey, uh, says, when will we see a big coaching hire at one of the vacant Power 5 schools? And that kind of goes along uh, with another question that was asked. Uh, I can't seem to find it, but uh, they were asking, you know, who's going to be the next coach of Auburn? So what do you think about the uh, coaching vacancies right now here, J.D.? Yeah, A.B., great question. Glad to have you back on the program. One of our regulars, we love it. I think Auburn is, is an interesting place to look for that first hire 
um, just because of the fact that they just got their AD there. I mean, John Cohen is now there, and it would seem like, effectively, to hire a new head coach. Like, the first thing he did on his way to finding his office, probably finding his way around campus, fired Brian Harson within, like, hours of him being announced as the AD at Auburn, maybe even before that. So I think that's a place that has shown quite a bit of urgency in terms of mm-hmm. wanting to hire a head coach. I would be surprised if we don't have a new Auburn head coach by, gosh, I hate to put a, a, a date on it, but I would think we'll have one before the national title game. I think we'll know who, who Auburn's next head coach is. I'm being a little bit conservative there with that, with that timeline, but that's where I, where I fall on that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of who I think it's going to be, who I think it's going to be and who the best fit is are maybe a little bit different. I think the best fit's Bill O'Brien for reasons I've said before on this show high-capacity individual, has done it at a really elite level at Alabama as a coordinator. He's a, a Nick Saban rehabilitated coach to a Power 5 program. If it's not Auburn, it'll be somewhere else. He's also been an NFL GM before, which says something about his high-capacity potential and what he could do to handle that Auburn job. So that's who I think is the best fit. The, the name that we keep hearing, Nick, and maybe it's smoke and mirrors because Jimmy Sexton's just the man at that as the super agent kind of profile goes but Lane Kiffin's a guy that continues to come up when you talk about that job um so we'll, we'll see what happens there but that's probably the way I would lean right now but if it's Bill O'Brien uh we'll just say that we knew it the whole time how does that sound yeah I think that's a good plan JD uh keep going uh sacred gaming another regular says JD who's your favorite player uh from this college football season Ooh, golly favorite player from this past college football season that's a tough one, man. There's there's a lot of them. Hmm. I think from a from a story perspective, and we'll play to our audience a little bit here. I think Brew McCoy is a phenomenal story. Transferred all over the place. Was a guy that you kind of had so much expectations for when he was at USC and never really put it together. And he was even at Texas for a period of time. And so for him to have the season he's having on this Tennessee program, I mean, you feel happy for him. Uh, another guy that I'm excited to see having a good year and a guy that I just kind of like and it's funny they play each other this coming this coming weekend but Stetson Bennett I mean Stetson Bennett has gotten so much flack throughout the entirety of his career and everybody seems to have an opinion on him which is funny because he's a pretty mild-mannered kind of guy it seems like he doesn't really get in the headlines for saying controversial things but Stetson Bennett has just continued to prove people wrong this year I think he's taken another step forward Georgia slinging around the yard with him as quarterback and so for that reason Stetson Bennett and Brew McCoy are probably two of my favorite guys right now in college football but maybe it's a whole segment we could do Nick to be honest with you there's there's a lot of uh individuals out there that uh that would be uh, a a part of the the people show if you catch what I'm saying I mean I think they're uh, they're made up of the right stuff you know yeah, I agree, JD. You with me? Uh, hey, so uh, Sumner Darlington wrote uh, a Tarantino screenplay. He's got a pretty long question he asked. Uh, JD, I need you to compare Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin and what made them so successful in the SEC so fast and also the difference between them. All caps. Enlighten the people. <laughs> Sumner Darlington, we love it. He, he's a regular too as well, is he not, Nick? Uh, yeah, we get some Sumner he, questions. He gets on here now and yeah. then. Uh So I'll just kind of break this down from what I believe I remember about that question. Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin, both been successful a really short period of time based on what they've done at their respective schools. Uh, I would say the the first thing that I'm looking at with Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin in terms of similarities, they got key transfers. 
I mean, talk about Zach Evans at Ole Miss and what he's done for them effectively and how he's recruited the portal really heavily. And then Josh Heupel, maybe a little less volume in terms of what they did in the portal, but Hennon Hooker was at Virginia Tech for a little bit and eventually made his way to Knoxville. Imagine if he never got to Tennessee, how different this whole season would read for Tennessee. So I think that's the first thing. They got key pieces in the portal. Lane Kiffin, a little bit more of a butcher. Josh Heupel, a little bit more of a surgeon when it comes to their execution there. Uh, also, both have found what works for them offensively. Like, it's looked different for Ole Miss this year than it did last year, but he plays to his personnel so well, does Lane Kiffin. He's like, I got a stable of backs. I got a quarterback that's pretty good on the ground. I'm gonna feed. I'm gonna feed my guys. Like I'm, I'm gonna let them do what they do when they did it really successfully against against Texas A&M. They ran for nearly 400 yards, Nick. So yeah, I think they found a way to be successful with, um, you know, kind of playing their style of ball and not being apologetic about that. And then Josh Heupel, I said it on the program on Tuesday. He's a bona fide wizard. Like just is so impressive with how he schemes it up. He's always a step ahead of the defense. He's just playing chess. Everyone's playing checkers. So I, I think those two things, I think their, their acumen offensively has allowed them to be competitive really early on. And the portal, obviously, like I said, helps a lot. Lane Kiffin mm -hmm. also got Jackson Dart. So just being able to, to retool their roster and, and adapt to that roster as well, sure schematically. Thing. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Good question, Sumner. Parker Seymour, uh, he's got the, the big Ohio State. The Ohio State logo is his profile picture. What's up, so, Parker? Uh, Parker wants to know, does Illinois have a real shot at making the college football playoff if they win out? Parker, Parker. if they win out, that means they're beating your Buckeyes. Parker, Parker, Parker. Very fair question. Um, so here's the, the reason why we're, we're talking about this. Illinois has one loss, and they're, let's call a spade a spade. They, really, they, they should be 8-0, right? Like, that, like they should be undefeated right now. We'll leave it at that. You can go look up the clip against Indiana if you want to. But a one-loss Big Ten champion would get in. So that would require Illinois beating Michigan, who's on their schedule. And then it would either be Ohio State, like Parker alluded to, or Michigan a second time. So is there a path? Absolutely. The path is actually pretty clearly defined. You wouldn't really, in my opinion, need that much help if you're Illinois and you get into the college football playoff. Just got to win out, handle your business. Um, is it likely? I would, I would venture to say no, because I don't think they win that game against Michigan, or I don't think they win the Big Ten title against Ohio State or Michigan again. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but the path is there. The path is clearly defined. Parker showing some Ohio State love uh, with, with the logo there. We love it. We, we love having all these different fan bases, Nick. That's, that, yeah. I, I love seeing that. That's encouraging. Well, we'll go from an um, Ohio State fan to a Michigan fan, Michael Stamper. Let's How great is the progress in Oregon State uh, this season? In Oregon State. In Oregon State. He's a Michigan fan, but wants to talk about Oregon State. If Good you want to talk about there, Oregon Mike. State, I think in terms of progress, you look really closely at that USC game. Because USC personnel-wise had you beat in that department. Uh, and they just they were in a fight all game long. And it took a superhero catch down the sideline by Jordan Addison to and a superhero throw, rather, from Caleb Williams to eventually win that game. And uh, that stadium was getting work done. And it still felt like the crowd impacted that game. And so, I mean, they're, they're still playing for a lot of exciting things down there in Corvallis. Don't get it twisted. A big game against Washington this week. Uh, I believe that game is in Seattle, so that'll be exciting for them. But they're ranked in the college football playoff rankings. I believe they're mm -hmm. 23 right now, Nick. And so the, the progress that's happened for this new staff at Oregon State in such a short amount of time, really exciting to be, uh, to be a Beaver fan, to be, to be frank with you. So, um, you know, are they going to make the college football playoff? Probably not, but they'll probably play for an exciting bowl game. And mm -hmm. the progress is very visible. 
Very, very visible. It's visible in their stadium, too, you know, the construction. It's happening. It's, ha- <laughs> it's literal. <laughs> yeah. You're, well, um, Garrett, we'll move on uh, from some, some bad uh, witty humor to, to Garrett Bauer's that question. Good. That was good. <laughs> he says, at JD, how hot does the seat get for old Jimbo? When he loses, when he loses at home this weekend to the Florida Gators. Yeah, Garrett, we're actually in lockstep there. If you've watched our preview, we think Florida wins that game, even though it's in College Station. And the seat, I would say, is more so hot for the people around him. He's got a cool, I think it's like 80 to 90 million worth of buyout to to get him out of there. So I don't think the seat for him gets hot, but the people around him, like if I'm looking at Jimbo Fisher and I'm his assistant, I start sweating. Because Jimbo is saying, listen, I'm not going. I'm too expensive to get out of here. Everyone around me, though, they're going to want some change. And boys, love you like my own sons, or maybe I don't. doesn't matter at this point. Y'all can't stay. Mm -hmm. Can't stay. All right? So I think that's probably what happens. Uh, The seats around Jimbo, I think, get pretty toasty. Fair question, though, Gary. I do think they lose, to be honest. I I think Mm -hmm. they lose in College Station. I agree. And, hey, look. You would never say it, J.D., but whenever you said that they'd lose four games, um, so I'm going to say it for you. There we go. You won't, but you said they lose four games, and you were getting so many hateful comments from the <laughs> A&M fans, and they're going to lose a lot more than four, it looks like, this year. To be fair, we were wrong. We were wrong about them losing four games. <laughs> we were being, wrong, it ended yeah. Up being, all, the, all the comments saying, clown, you were wrong, that is true. That's true. However, for the other... For the other reasons that were not mentioned. But <laughs> yeah, the wrong reason. Neither here um, nor there. But look, you're not going to say it, so I'm going to. We're the bigger people. Neither of us are going to actually say that. But if we were to say that, that's what we would say. J.D., you're the bigger <laughs> person. Maybe not me. Maybe not your producer. Um, hey, uh, another. we got a, a lot of good questions, J.D. We got some time. We got some time, brother. Let's do it. Okay, let's ask a couple more. Um, I'm just kind of making my way down the line. Jacob Simmons, or Simons, I, look at I had an English minor, but didn't help my reading. Uh, how much does the Nolan Smith loss play into Georgia's defense since he was responsible for two turnovers against Florida? Yeah, I think it's big. I think it's big. So those of you that don't know, Nolan Smith tore his peck against Florida. One, I don't even know how you tear a peck. That sounds extremely painful. Sounds like he's still on the on the practice squad on the scout team giving him a look and being the vocal leader so that's huge uh how much do you lose though with him not being on the field i think it's huge uh georgia hasn't been elite in terms of getting after the quarterback and you gotta get after hen hooker this coming week gotta make him uncomfortable and so him not being on the field hurts from a like i said schematic perspective a productive perspective but to the same token just not having your vocal leader on the field i think hurts as well so we'll see how much it really hurts them going forward uh, but any way you slice it, lose a very talented football player in Nolan Smith. And I think you really mm-hmm. will see the impact of that more from a, a leadership standpoint than anything else. Absolutely. Good point, J.D. Hey, uh, Sheila Kelly's going to be watching the Tennessee-Georgia game pretty closely. It looks like a Volunteers fan here in the crowd uh, says, thoughts on other fans from all the other SEC teams saying that if Tennessee loses to Georgia, the Vols are done with. Yeah, Sheila, thank you for for tapping into the program and, and uh, getting to, to one of our segments there. I mean, that that's 100%, I think, uh, an interesting conversation. I will say this. It does become a conversation. Is it certain? No. But it does become a conversation. Uh, I think that if you're Tennessee and you lose this game, you then, unfortunately, have to start rooting for some other programs as opposed to controlling your own destiny. Now, like we mentioned, I take Tennessee's resume over a lot of other programs, depending on who those losses are to. I take them over a one-loss TCU, likely. Take them over a one-loss Clemson. I take them over 
probably a one-loss Oregon with that common loss and imagining Tennessee doesn't lose by 46 points. So it's not going to be a for sure, hey, that's your season. You're not playing for the college football playoff, but it does become a little more dicey. However, I think their resume is still pretty strong. Now, if it goes the other way, and George loses the game, I feel a lot less confident about them being able to recover and still make the playoff. So that's where I stand on that. But Sheila, don't listen to them. They're just, you know, they're just naysayers. Anyone who's talking bad on your program, Mm -hmm. you just, you know, whether that's Tennessee or or otherwise, anyone talks bad on your program, you engage in the debate. When it becomes negative, you detract yourself and you just kind of let it on pass by. All right. I think that's the best way to go about it. Wouldn't you say, Nick? I think so. Hey, Sheila doesn't worry. She's not too worried because they say, look, Tennessee's going to win. Just can't understand all the other people stating that if they lose to Georgia, then they're done. Says that's a ridiculous statement. I agree, Sheila. It is ridiculous, uh, but let's just win the game if you're Tennessee this weekend. what do, We got time for two more questions, Let's Jimmy? do it, man. Yeah, two, two questions sounds great. Okay. Uh, I really like this question. Um, I'm going to have to go find it. So, uh, JD, tell everybody subscribe to the channel. Absolutely. Subscribe to the channel. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JD Pakel. So at both of those platforms, we do different kind of content that you can't necessarily get on the YouTube channel. We do like a back and forth Q&A similar to this, but it's on Fridays on my Instagram platform. On Twitter, we do polls. We do open-ended questions. We post snippets from the show. Like There's a lot going on on Twitter that I think you're going to want to make sure you're locked in for. So at JD Pakel, at JD P-I-C, K-E-L-L. You can find me on there. Also, I'll just say this, Nick. I'm pretty good about responding to DMs. So if you have a segment idea, you want to talk through something, like I'm pretty accessible on both those platforms. So make sure you follow me there. We'll have a good time. The party will keep on rolling. Also, yeah, subscribe to the channel. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You and if you want to be one of my like 300 followers, you can follow me too. Follow so. Nick Brink, man. Follow, <laughs> I don't know what my hat is, though. Um, I always forget. I found, the, I found the question. It's Sacred Gaming. Should have known because it was a great question. And Sacred Gaming only asks great questions. Said if you're if you're rebuilding an NFL team, are you taking Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker, or the field? Who do you want, J.D.? If you wow. take the control of my Buffalo Bills. Wow. Well, the bad news is if you're the Buffalo Bills <laughs> and you get drafted quarterback, you're probably sitting for a few years behind Josh Allen. I, so I don't know decades. if any of you guys are available, Nick, when y'all are taking a quarterback. Let's go to another team. Let's say the Houston <laughs> Texans. Then that be a sure. Safer. Fair enough. You know. This is always a fascinating question because so much of it to me is based on what you have around them in the NFL. Like, I think you can throw a player into, I don't want to say any football program at the college level, but there's much less variables that need to be on your side as a quarterback. I mean, at the NFL level, you need to have a coordinator that you like. You need to have a receiving core that works for you, a GM that's going to support you. Like, there's so many variables. And so if all things are being equal... I have a hard time going against C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud has the ideal size. is a cannon for an arm. Uh, he's got one of the best completion percentages. He's over 70% for his career at Ohio State. And so for that reason, I think the highest floor is probably C.J. Stroud. Now, what Bryce Young's done on tape this year, what Henry Hooker's done on tape this year are hard to look past. But I think just based on, like I said, the high floor, the lowest risk potential for me is C.J. Stroud. Now, Will Levis is getting a lot of love in the draft circles. That's cool. I Nick, I don't get it. Tennessee fans, you probably don't get it. You picked him off three times, held him to under 100 yards last year, or excuse me, last week. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. We're not going to, you know, get too much after Will Levis here, but C.J. Stroud, for my money, is who I'm taking, Nick. Nick, you're an NFL guy, though. You got uh, you got some stake in the game there. You, you have a, a guy you'd like for your program if you're an NFL GM? Um, well, I'd be honest with you, man. If I'm an NFL franchise... 
I'm putting all my money in for Josh Allen. Go Bills. There no, go. no, I'm there kidding. Ah, I'm taking Bryce Young. You want the guy who's, um, who's been under Nick Saban, plain and simple. You yeah. want you want to go to college football with your with your next guy under his wing for a few years. Although it hasn't worked out uh, with some of these guys, but you look at Jalen Hurts. You look at Tua. Um, very very recently has been the the key to success is uh, picking that guy who wore wore that crimson for a couple of years. Former NFL head coach too as his OC right mm-hmm. now. So you kind of yeah. got the pedigree thing going there. Yeah, I'm cool with that too. Mm-hmm. I subscribe I, to I that. I totally totally agree with you. Uh, a GM says my question has been skipped for two shows in a row. GM, this is a kid friendly show. I'm not going to ask your question on air. Um, so we will end with a different question. This one coming from Nugs, who's been on here a couple times. Which SEC division is stronger top to bottom? This is your last question, J.D. So uh, which SEC division is stronger top to bottom? This has been a recurring question in some SEC circles. Just wants to get a professional opinion. So that's you, J.D. Sure. Golly. I mean, you would say historically, right? You'd say the West. Right now, this year... The East is pretty top-heavy with Tennessee and Georgia. I mean, we we have a real-life scenario where they could both make the playoff. It's it's a small scenario, but it could still happen. Uh, So let's say for 2022, let's be political here, Nick. Let's say historically, we'll say the SEC West. Now, in 2022, today, I think the SEC East top to bottom is probably just ever so slightly in a better spot. So we'll leave it at that. How, how's that for sitting on the fence, Nick? That, that, that's okay for you? I'm telling you, every show, you make more and more case that you could be a politician. I like it. Um, hey, everybody, thanks for asking so many questions. Uh, a lot of debate now in the chat going because of Sacred Gaming's uh, drafting question. So good job there, Sacred Gaming. And I think a great answer from you, J.D. Uh, hey, appreciate it, the Nick. The floor is yours, my friend. We'll appreciate it, my man. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, Nick Bright, Keeper of the Q. Does a phenomenal job making sure we get to as many questions as possible. And thank you to you for jumping in the chat and making this so fun. Like we said it when we started this whole show. Yes, we want to bring college football to you at the most entertaining, engaging, insightful level that we possibly can. We want to do the absolute best we can for you. But even more so, we want to build a community somewhere where you can come and talk with your friends and hear what we have to say and have a good conversation back and forth and understand you're coming to a place where you have someone who who understands what makes college football special, the fabric of the sport, the pageantry, the traditions, the passion, all of that. Like, that's why we love this game. I say it every single week. We're not the NFL. We're not NBA. It's it's, it's not kind of the the game or the setup that we have here. And we love it because of that. All right, folks, we're on Tuesday and we're on Thursday, 1 Central, 2 Eastern. I know the time's moving around on you. Right now, this is what we're sticking with. So come back here Tuesday, 1 Central. We'll have a real good time. Jump in the chat. We'll keep this thing rolling. Sunday, we have our Sunday sprint. Nick Brake and I get in here early morning and we just get after it, talking about everything that happened from the week today, or excuse me, from, from the weekend that was in college football, from week 10, I guess, what we're about to be in. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. So make sure you're locked in for that. Make sure you're subscribed to make sure you don't miss a minute of what we got going on here. So again, thank you so much for being tuned in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jody Piquel. Great place to reach us after the show. We'll leave it at that. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. 
Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.